InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Researchers believe they've found an algorithm that can predict suicidal thoughts and behavior among adolescents. How accurate is it? The answer may surprise you. Here with the story, InfoTrack's Gina Tedesco. Gina? Thanks, Chris. Young people who come from a family with lots of arguments and yelling might be more likely than others to think about suicide or maybe act on those thoughts. Researchers found those surprising insights as they identified a method to predict which adolescents are at risk. They report their method is 91% accurate. Joining us now is Carl Hansen, a study co-author and professor of public health at Brigham Young University. Professor, let's start with the results that researchers found surprising. These serious family arguments, insults, and yelling made the list of top 10 risk factors. Can you speculate or do you know why these family fights were such strong risk factors? Certainly, we can speculate about that, but I'm not sure that we really know, other than to say that we feel like families are under a great deal of pressure. There's a lot going on in their lives and in their homes, in their communities, you know, not to mention things like COVID. However, that wasn't a part of this particular study. But yeah, I think it just speaks to the pressures and burdens that families face. One specific risk factor is a family that argues about the same thing over and over. And would you say these specifics about family life actually break new ground on our understanding of this issue? Yeah, I think so. Our findings were really that risk factors fall into two broad categories, and it's about connections, one in the home and one in what's going on between these kids, these adolescents, and their friends. Well, maybe not friends, their peers, those that they're around, that they associate with, right? And so, yeah, the family certainly is, you know, that connection within the family, that certainly is something that we've got to ask ourselves the question about, what can we do to help strengthen the family? Now, the top risk factors were being threatened or harassed through digital media, followed by being picked on or bullied at school in the past 12 months. And another factor was gender. Explain for us how gender is a risk factor for suicidal thoughts or behaviors. Yeah, Gina, what we did was we had all different kinds of features or risk factors, if you will, and we threw them all into the so-called computer black box to see what would percolate to the top as most important. And gender was in that top five. But that's not something that we didn't already know. We knew that females, for example, are at higher risk for suicidal thought and behavior. And that was interesting, but that was also something that we already know. What we didn't know was that some of these other risk factors were really important. We knew they were risk factors, but we didn't know the extent to which they were important. And I think this study speaks to that. Now we know. Your method also lists positive aspects that would likely ward off suicidal thoughts and protect a child, such as whether they feel safe at school. What were some of the other protective conditions or situations that you noted? Well, honestly, it was the risk factors that percolated to the top as the most important predictors of suicidal thought and behavior, right? So that's a glass half empty look at this whole thing. It's kind of disappointing to think about that that's what's going on, right? But if you flip the script and think about it as the glass half full, you know, just the opposite could help strengthen and could help address this issue. So in the case of families, if we've got arguments, if we've got, you know, insults and yelling going on, if there's programming out there or supports resources that can help strengthen the family, 
so that those things don't happen, then that becomes protective. The same is true on the peer side of the house, right? Or in that, you know, looking at that as the glass half full. What can we do to help strengthen the connections between peers? And I noted some of the factors that were somewhat protective are whether the family eats at home together or the teacher notices when a child does a good job and says so and the school lets the parents know when a child does something good. So like you said, you can flip the script and look for the positives as well, can't you? Absolutely. And those are some of the questions that I think communities can wrestle with. You know, it's like, what can we do to help strengthen peer connections and what can we do to help strengthen the family. We've known for quite some time that things like family meals are really important or that not having those family meals is a risk factor, for example. And so the question for communities and even policymakers is what can we do to help curb this by strengthening the family and strengthening peer connections? We're visiting with Carl Hansen, professor of public health at Brigham Young University and co-author of a study on what risk factors are highly predictive of which adolescents may think about suicide or take actions in that direction. Professor, your study included surveys of nearly 175,000 high schoolers in Utah, gathering answers to more than 300 questions and collecting more than 8,000 demographic factors, leading to more than 1 billion data points. Briefly, can you explain what machine learning techniques are and how you use them? Yeah, machine learning is one of those fields of study that come out of computer science. And that's really one of the strengths of this study is that it was a collaboration with our colleagues in computer science. But machine learning just is one of those areas of study that allows itself an analysis of large data sets. And that's why we went down this road. We essentially took all of these different features, variables, if you will, and threw them in the black box of the computer and let the computer go through various iterations to find out what was the best model fit for predicting suicidal thought and behavior. And that's essentially what we did. As a public health guy, it was imperative that I had this collaboration with my colleagues in computer science in order to do this work. And is this machine learning the reason why your methods, producing 91% accuracy, were more accurate than the previous predictions? Yeah, I think so. That might be a better question for my computer science colleagues. <laughs> All right. Among healthcare professionals, your study notes that in recent years, less attention has been given to suicidal thoughts specifically rather than attempts or suicides. So to help more kids, should practitioners focus more on those with suicidal thoughts? Yeah, I think there's an opportunity there for practitioners, even our healthcare practitioners. I think that would be one of my personal things on my dream list, Gina, is if healthcare providers were able to use this kind of information as motivation to ask questions of their patients about suicidal thought and behavior. And even as they prescribe prescriptions, if you will, for physical ailments, could it not be possible for them to provide a prescription for social service programs that could help strengthen the family or improve connections amongst peer groups? I think there's possibly an opportunity there. I noticed that two of the top risk factors were how old the kids were when they had more than just a sip of alcohol and whether they think it's wrong for someone in their age to smoke marijuana. 
How do you think these results inform what school counselors should be doing to help young people? Well, I think it's important that they realize that, look, those kinds of things are risk factors for suicidal thought and behavior. And anything that we can do to curb, for example, early initiation of alcohol use could be a really good thing at helping curb suicidal thought and behavior. And you did mention policymakers before. What should they take away from your study and what do you feel they should do? Well, first of all, Gina, I think our communities are really doing good work, and there are best practice programming that does exist within our communities. But I think this is an opportunity for policymakers to reflect, is there a need to potentially shift some resources into certain areas that would help to provide greater access to programming that can help strengthen the family or to strengthen peer group relationships? Professor Carl Hansen of Brigham Young University, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Gina. For InfoTrack, I'm Gina Tedesco. You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks.